Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight, as always. Uh, we're going to start things off here in just a moment uh, with another great uh, panel discussion on the Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by the CEO of Power Tee, uh, Martin Wyeth. He's going to be joining me on the second half of the program. Looking forward to uh, that interview. But uh, as I said, we're going to start off here uh, in just a moment uh, with another great uh, discussion on Coach's Corner. But first, let me just remind everybody, of course, we, air, uh, we are excuse me, live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, for some reason, if you're uh, one of those that's not always able to join us uh, during the live broadcast, you can just visit the link blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive, and you can just scroll down to the on-demand section, and uh, you can see all of the previously aired uh, programs in, in, in their entirety, uh, or you can visit wherever uh, any great podcast, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, um, Spotify, and many others, uh, which will be listed at the end of the show, so you'll hear more about that. Uh, but uh, we want to thank all those tuning in. And just also uh, a side note, uh, next week there will be no shows. There will not be a Golf Talk Live or Women of Golf on Tuesday. I'll be heading uh, off to Las Vegas uh, for a brief holiday, so I'm going to be out of the area and uh, taking a little break, a little summer vacation, as it will, and hopefully I won't have to hitchhike coming home, but we'll see what happens uh, out there in the casinos. But anyways, uh, uh, great uh, discussion tonight on the Coach's Corner panel, and uh, let me introduce the uh, uh, gang that's going to be joining me tonight, and then we'll get into this evening's discussion. First up is uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron. She's a Class A LPJ teach professional and a sixth-degree Aikido Black Belt. Uh, she's also a somatic uh, psychologist and a corporate speaker and a mind-body fitness trainer. Uh, she graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford University, and she's also the creator of TI Golf, The Centered Way. Uh, also on the panel is Jim Endicott. He's uh, been with us now this year for a number of times, and he's been teaching this uh, great game for about 38 years. He's a former Golf Digest School's general manager and a seven-time PGA Award winner including uh, most recently the 2022 North Florida PGA Section Patriot Award and two North Florida PGA Youth Development Awards. And currently he is the Director of Instruction at the Royal St. Cloud Golf Links in St. Cloud, Florida. So please welcome uh, Jim and Jamie to the Coach's Corner panel. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Ted. And nice to be with you, Jim. Yes, it's uh, great to be with you, Jamie. And uh, Ted, as always, thank you so much for uh, having me on. Not a problem. All right, so we're going to talk about um, some trouble shots or even you might even want to call these recovery shots. Now, these are shots that unfortunately uh, every once in a while, uh, of course, as we know, golf is not a perfect game, 
uh, and we all kind of make mistakes from time to time and are forced to get a little creative uh, to escape some of those bad situations. So we're going to talk about those, and uh, we've just got a few of them, but uh, we're going to sort of approach it from a little bit different standpoint than what I normally do here. So one of the things that I want to do, and Jamie, I'm going to start with you and do it in the order that I introduced you. So um, we're going to talk about, first off, how to play out of the rough. And this is probably a fairly mild recovery shot, uh, getting out of the rough. And some might not even say it isn't really a recovery shot uh, unless you sort of intentionally hit your drive into the rough. So, um, but we'll need to make some sort of a recovery here. So I, I want to really approach this from a couple of ways. I want you to give an example, and you can pick whatever yardage you want. That's fine, just to, for the purpose of the example. But I want you to talk about maybe a couple of scenarios. So if the ball is a little deeper in the rough, there might be some specific things that you need to in your setup and, and how you approach that shot uh, as opposed to if it's not necessarily deep in the rough but still in the rough but maybe sitting up a little bit or what have you. So give us a couple of scenarios. Talk about what we need to do uh, in order to get ourselves back in, in play. Well, first of all, let me just say I'm excited about this topic. I didn't know this was going to be it, but uh, I actually teach whole trouble shots golf schools because I think it's so important uh, to be able to recover and not lose too many shots, right? So um, so I'm just happy with the topic. Thank you, Ted. And in terms of hitting out of the rough, the first thing is that, you know, you've got to look at uh, the kind of grass it is and also are you in the, the first cut of rough or are you deeper into the rough? So, you know, what's the length of the rough um, is obviously, you know, a factor. Um, if you're, you know, so I, I think the – if you're just in the kind of, um, you know, first cut of rough, I don't stress too much about that. Um, a lot of times I think that it's helpful for sort of your average golfer and more than average golfer to uh, perhaps take a hybrid club and then just swing it pretty pretty normally. Um, and, you know, be sure to get through the grass is, is important. The long, longer grass, the rough, tends to grab the club head and sort of slow it down. And it will um, oftentimes, it can take some yardage off. Uh, on the other hand, it can also cause what we call flyers, which means that the ball will just shoot out and it'll just run. So it's hard to hold the ball, for example, um, you know, on the green. And sometimes you'll find with a hybrid hitting out of the rough that, you know, you can hit a pretty decent shot uh, and it will have some extra run on it. So that often happens as well. Um, I think that, you know, when the ball's deep in the rough, we'll take that um, scenario. And let's say, you know, you've got a shot that you could ordinarily get to the green, maybe 150 yards, 175 yards. I think first you just need to know that, um, you know, the, the grass could really slow you down. And so you've got to be sure that you've got a strong stance or, you know, a, a good balance, a lot of stability um, and to, you know, kind of give it a little more, right? Sometimes you'll see the pros just like, whoa, you can see where their fitness comes in. You kind of need some muscles uh, to do that, to get through the grass. Um, but a lot of times you'll want to uh, just play smart. It's course management and take a club, like a shorter club, sometimes even an eight iron, a seven iron, um, to be sure you get out, get out well, and hit it to a distance. Up, you know, uh, don't be greedy, don't try to get to the green necessarily um, if it's a really long or buried lie. Um, important to, to stay with the shot to really be sure you kind of get through. Sometimes to hit down on it um, and in that way to not just have the club so grabbed by, 
by the grass and to kind of hitting down will help to uh, pop it up and get it out of the grass. You can't really sweep through uh, when it's deeply buried. So I think you really got to look over your lie and look over your distance and use course management. Um, you know, the old phrase, take your medicine <laughs> at times. And um, so, you know, thinking, you know, you can't necessarily get to the green or um, maybe you're a little bit closer, but you can't hold the green um, because, you know, you just can't get much spin on the ball or, you know, you can't get necessarily the same height on it. And um, so sometimes it's just wise to play a shot that can get you to a decent yardage that you can hit, you know, a good wedge and hopefully maybe one putt and, um, you know, kind of save the shot there or be happy you got, you know, have it be a good bogey kind of thing. So those are just some um, starting thoughts. Yeah, and and I think, too, um, just to add to that, Jamie, um, great points, by the way. Uh, Obviously, assessing the situation first and foremost to decide what's what's realistic, um, what your expectations are, uh, whether they're realistic or not. If you're not a if you're a high handicap player, and let's say, you know, taking your scenario somewhere between 150 and 175 yards in that range, if you're not really a strong player, and I don't necessarily mean physically strong, but a, a accomplished player, maybe sometimes depending on how deep the ball is, getting just out to a better yardage, as you pointed out, might be the smarter play instead of trying to whiff it, you know, down the fairway 170 or down the the hole 175 yards. Uh, and then running the risk of making it work uh, differently. The other thing I wanted to ask you, and and I know you kind of touched on this, but I just want to get a little more specific. You know, typically when the ball is in the fairway, your shallow, your angle is a a sort of a shallower one uh, when you're striking the golf ball, whereas if you're um, in a deeper rough, let's say, you might take a steeper angle of attack. And are there some other points that you might want to consider as far as uh, ball position, you know, that sort of thing, and some other things to keep in mind? Um. Well, again, you know, you've got to kind of look at what you've got. Um, and when you say steep, I would say uh, you also have to think about a little steeper uh, takeaway because you don't want the club to get stuck in the grass uh, with sort of a wide sweeping takeaway. And that will also facilitate that steeper, you know, angle attack or what we call hitting down on the ball to help it um, have some loft. Um, ball position. Um, I tend personally to play it more, um, well, it depends. Um, I'll kind of play it more middle back just because I don't want to get stuck in the grass. Um, on the other hand, you know, if you play it a little bit forward, it helps, uh, to, it, it helps the ball to get some loft. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to play, I don't know, kind of middle of the road. But, and, and it can also depend as well. Sometimes when you're in the rough, you're also uh, more side hill. And you could be uphill or downhill in the rough, which, uh, you know, adds a little more complexity uh, to things. I think the key factors are really uh, around staying stable and being sure that you, you know, have some oomph on the ball, um, you know, on on your swing, Um, being aware that the grass is going to slow the club head down. And so it's really not a time to decelerate (laughs) or to lose your balance. And those are two yeah. common common problems that uh, you know kind of ordinary golfers have. Um, all golfers have, actually. Well, maybe not pros, but uh, even then. Uh, but it's the decel thing, um, and that can happen even even to good players. It's like you know you're you think you're doing fine, and all of a sudden you know you you get to the ball, and your club just like it slows down. It gets grabbed, and it's sometimes it can be really surprising what that long grass can do to you. 
So it's so important to have a lot of stability and balance and to really kind of hold on to the club, hold on to your stance and get through the ball. Well said. Um, and I, I imagine a lot of pros that have played at the U.S. Open over the years, uh, obviously uh, having experienced some deep rough can probably concur with a lot of what you just said. But, yeah, it, it, you really I've have to assess seen, your situation. At Torrey Pines, which is famous for really long rough during Opens at the U.S. Open, I actually saw a few pros, including uh, Phil Mickelson, literally duff a shot. I mean, duff it like just barely roll it up through the grass. Um, so, you know, it yeah. can happen. It can happen to the best of them. Yeah, that's right. Um, Jim, I'm going to come to you on this one here. Uh, and this is a little different. This is one, uh, again, depending on where you're playing, can uh, be a frequent uh, problem for a lot of uh, golfers, especially our high handicap, and that's how to play from the woods. So you hit your ball into the woods a little bit. You've got some trees and other things to deal with. Walk us through some scenarios here and what are some options? What are we looking at? Obviously, we need to assess what's going on, but give us a, your thought process on what you're going to guide your student. Um, and, again, if you want to give a specific example just for, for the purpose of demonstration, um, feel free to do so. But what do we got to do here? We've got our hit the ball into the woods. Uh, what are some of our options? Well, uh, when we find ourselves in the woods, I, I, I often see players – uh, go in there and they they have a look and they say, well, you know, if I can get it between those two trees that are about 10 yards in front of me and those two trees are about oh, uh, 10 feet apart, uh, I might be able to squeak this thing up onto the green. And I always ask that player before they do that, uh, you just hit it into the woods and you missed a fairway that was 40 yards wide. And now you're thinking of going through something that's 10 feet wide. Uh, we might want to make a different choice. Uh, and so we have to first take a look at, uh, one, how far are we to where we want to go? How far are we to the green? And then we make a decision on where do we want to end up after we've hit this. And with that decision, we want to look at what's the uh, safest, direction to go that gives me the widest target to go through to get back into the fairway. My father told me when I was very young, when you hit into trouble, the woods, or deep rough, as Jamie was talking about, get out of that situation in one hit. And so most often when we're in the trees, we have to now hit a shot that's lower than normal. And when we take a look at the types of shots that are lower than normal, we have uh, a chip shot, and we have a, a putt. And so if I'm in the woods, and perhaps I've played golf courses where there's pine needles throughout the woods, uh, and there's not much rough, you could actually find that you could putt that thing out of there and get it back onto the fairway. Again, just trying to get it so that our next hit, I can hit a good one. But if I'm needing to... Uh, it a little bit further, uh, I would use uh, the technique that I would call a chipping technique. And so what we would do is address the ball. Let's take uh, a seven iron that has limited loft. Uh, and we set up as if we were hitting our normal fairway shot. Then we'd maybe narrow our stance slightly and put a bit of weight towards our lead foot. 
And this allows for that club to go a little bit more up and down, missing some of the uncertainty that may be behind my golf ball in the woods. But it also, by leaning that way, it also takes a little more loft off of the golf club, which would then uh, make that ball go a little bit lower. And so I would, I would play the chipping technique to a yardage that I know, one, I can get to, and two, that it's reasonable for me to have a good shot into the green. So the ch- club choice needs to be based on what's between me and that target. Uh, do I need to fly it uh, five feet in the air, ten feet in the air? Uh, do I need to keep it lower? Uh, that's going to influence which club I choose. I could chip it out of there with a nine iron if I could let it fly say, maybe 10 or 15 feet in the air. Uh, so the club choice is on what am I negotiating between me and my target, uh, what trajectory works for me. I would play the chipping technique with that club I chose to go the distance I want to go. But very, very important uh, that when we are making our decision of what to play, we have to make it based on it's a safer area to hit. It's not putting a premium to try and go through this five-foot-wide opening. Uh, let's go through something that's 25 feet wide and uh, get it back into play. The other thing to take a look at, depending on the type of trees and situation we're in and your skill set, sometimes you can look up and you can go through an opening between the trees. You could take something with more loft and play it up there. Again, we got to check our skill set to say, is that something I can do? Some very good points. And, and I think it goes down to, you know, what I was saying earlier. Uh, at, well, you pointed out with skill set, but you also have to factor in uh, the percentage of success that you're going to have. I mean, obviously there, there are always a lot of variables in there and things can change. But if you're, as you pointed out, if you're having difficulty keeping it, um, when the fairway is 40 yards wide and now you're trying to hit through a, a, you know, a 10-foot slot, the likelihood of you being successful with that based on past performance is not very likely. So, uh, again, you have to look at it from a percentage standpoint. You know, what is the percentage or likelihood that I'm going to recover from this going you know, with option A as opposed to option B. If option A is maybe 30, 40, even 50% chance, but option B is more like 70 or even 80% chance, even though it might not advance me as far down the fairways I'd like, that's a higher percentage of likelihood of success. And I think that's where a lot of amateurs, as you were sort of alluding to, fall into that trap, is they, they look at it and they think, okay, I can just thread it through that little hole there and I'm going to be back in the fairway or I'm going to be down towards the green and, and can set up, and that might not be the best shot for them. So there are a lot of factors obviously going into this, but we're just trying to give the, the listeners just a, a, a little bit of a guidance on what to consider and what options are available. And I like yours too. Uh, putting uh, is a great option, if, you know, unless you're deep in the woods, and if that's the case, you know, getting it out in any way, shape, or form is, is the best option, just getting it back out to the fairway. But you know, if putting is an option, if there's not a lot of obstacles there and it's a fairly, you know, re- decent path to get back out to the fairway, pull out your putter and putting, or, or like you said, a chipping stroke is sometimes uh, the most, you know, easiest way to get back in play. And I like that. Uh, some great options there. Thank you for that, uh, Jim. 
Um, Jamie, I'm going to come back to you on this one here. And this is another one that a lot of people uh, find themselves at some point, uh, usually at least once or sometimes twice in a round, maybe even more, um, depending on where you're playing. But uh, you might find yourself, uh, your ball's rolled up and it's on some hard pan and you've got to play that ball. This is something that a lot of people are real squeamish about because they know that the ground is hard and firm and, and uh, it might even hurt if they're not doing it. So what are some options here uh, to do if we find our ball uh, sitting in an area that would be considered hard pan? I think the first thing is to not get what I call off-centered um, uh, mentally. <laughs> and what, what I mean is that, you know, you look at your ball, it's on hard pan, you're like, oh, you know, <laughs> bad news, and a feeling like you just can't do it. And I personally find that hard pan is not that difficult. Um, you know, if you just kind of stay with the shot, um, I find that a hybrid works well, a lot of times an eight or nine iron, seven iron, um, and you can, you know, hit that shot pretty darn well. Um, I don't find that there's particularly a technique to, uh, and maybe it's just a technique I don't know about so well, but uh, for me it's all about just keeping clear and not, not thinking that this is a terrible situation to be in. Um, if I'm in pine needles, that's actually a little bit trickier, um, but that's another story. Uh, hard pan itself, um, yeah, I think you have to be ready to uh, maybe feel uh, braced a little bit because it's a little bit hard sometimes when the club comes down. But, um, again, all, every trouble shot, I think, is an opportunity to improve all of our shots because uh, the best – sometimes people hit better shots uh, when they're in trouble situations for the reason that uh, consciously or not they keep their balance better. They, they have more stability. They have a stronger base. They don't send a sway or lift around so much. They just kind of like, oh, here I am, boom, I'm going to hit this shot. And incredibly enough, they sometimes hit better shots of, um, in trouble situations, and that's really the reason for it. So, again, I think it's just the, to not get freaked out mentally and think, oh, this is so hard, this is terrible. Just go up there and go, okay, this is nothing. Just, you know, make a swing. Be prepared for maybe a little jarring there and uh, go ahead and, and hit the shot. Um, and what about things like – jo- can, uh, can I tell a little yeah, joke? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sure. <laughs> it's one of my favorite uh, – it's, it's just a cute little golf joke. So there were these two guys, uh, buddies, you know, they're playing a, a match and they're riding the same cart. And uh, so uh, the one of them hits a shot and it ends up uh, kind of half in the grass and half on the cart path. So they get up there and they have this whole um, kind of discussion, argument about it. The one guy says, uh, I get relief. It's on the cart path. The other guy goes, no, it's in the grass. You know, you, you, you can't move it. And so finally the, the guy agrees. He goes, okay. So, you know, he goes, and he grabs a club and he hits, he swings and it like kind of scrapes through the the cart path and then it just swishes beautifully through the grass and the ball goes flying and it bounces up on the green beautifully. It's just a beautiful high, nice shot and it goes to tap in distance and his buddy says to him, oh my God, what'd you hit? And his friend says, you're seven iron. <laughs> 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 yeah, you didn't want to give like me relief, that. all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, you know, I mean, that's just, and actually, if you think about that situation, it's like, okay, my ball's kind of half and half, and the guy just really just made a swing right through it, and he didn't go, oh man, half of it's here, half of it's there, or it's hard pan, it's not. He just made a swing, nice, beautiful shot, took off. 
Yeah, and sometimes too, I think, Jamie, that you know, I mean, it, it depends on the circuit. If you're just out having fun with your friends and things like that, it's not necessarily a serious game of golf. You know, you can be a little bit more relaxed and, and not. Obviously, if you're playing in a tournament of something, then you want to be a little bit more uh, conscious of what you do. And, and I think there's a couple of factors, too, that, that I look at, um, depending on the severity. Again, I might want to look at moving uh, the ball a little bit back in my stance because, uh, obviously, I know it's it's hitting off hard pan. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. So I would rather yeah. make sure I make good contact with the ball first. And then the other thing, too, is, you know, is really developing good tempo through the swing. You know, a lot of times people, when they get in a situation that they're nervous and they rush through the process and end up making a worse shot um, when maybe just slowing it down. Instead of trying to hit it 100%, maybe just slow it down to 80% of of what you would normally or even 75% um, and and just make sure that your tempo and timing uh, is is in good order so that you are making as, as best contact as possible. Uh, with the golf ball, and I think if you factor in some of those as well, um, yeah, I think that's you know I, I, that's a great. Go ahead. That's a great way of saying it, um, which is to keep your time and your tempo, your rhythm. Um, don't feel like you've got to do something special, um, and like you mentioned, the nervousness uh, can really throw people off, and that's what I was saying, kind of mentally right off the bat, getting nervous and thinking, oh, this is a bad situation. It's really not such a terrible situation, and keeping that kind of center, that balance, and um, well said in terms of the time and the tempo of the rhythm. Just, you know, make a good swing through there. Um, it's also, of course, important, as in any shot, not to decel, not to decelerate, um, which can happen out of um, fear of the kind of impact on the hard pan. Uh, and just, uh, once again, to kind of get through the ball, but without rushing through it. And um, so, yeah, I, I would uh, really agree with that. The other thing that I would say is that, it's important on every shot that we're talking about to practice it. You don't want to be in a situation yeah. on the golf course, and this is kind of like the first time or maybe sort of the second time that you've ever been here. Uh, it sounds kind of funny, but and we can talk about this more. This is what I do in trouble school is that we purposely put ourselves in these situations mm-hmm. or in your own personal practice. Don't just always practice the good lies. You want to put yourself in these situations because once you've had even a little experience, it gives you so much more confidence that you can actually execute the shot when you need to. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, growing up, my father did that. He obviously taught me this game. He was not a, uh, certainly a teacher professional, but he was a very good golfer. And when we would go to the range, you know, he wouldn't go to the nice team area. He would go to the area that had been roughed up a little bit by some of the earlier uh, you know, uh, folks practicing, and I would hit out of everything from divots to if it was a hard section, um, and he would do that, and he would say, you know, you're not going to get off a perfect lie uh, here at the, on the practice area because you're not going to, you know, always have that out in the golf course, so I want you to be prepared. So, um, it, you know, I didn't like, as a kid, I didn't really like it that much because it didn't seem as much fun, <laughs> but it, it paid off over over the years. But, again, that point was that he wanted me to understand and practice um, working on some of these difficult shots. So uh, a great point to, to bring up as well. Um, Jim, I'm going to come back to you on this one here, and uh, uh, I'm going to actually skip this one here because Jamie kind of talked a little bit. It was about talking about hitting off a cart path. I'm sure there's a lot of things that we would consider here, but um, I want to give you this one here. I think this is a fun one, is how to hit a shot when the golf ball is partially submerged in water. Maybe you've got a situation where um, it could be a wet area, uh, it might be a, a, a 
not necessarily a deep pond, but maybe on the edge of the, the pond and, uh, and you want to hit it out. I mean, obviously there are a lot of factors involved, but what, what do we got to do here? It's partially submerged. There's, you can see it. And uh, we know there's going to be a few people on the course. They're going to, you know, make an effort to try and get it out. So for those, for the sake of those that do want to try that shot, what would be some options? Well, uh, the first thing we have to look at is the the key to getting that one out is to get to the bottom of the golf ball. Mm. In order to get to the bottom of the golf ball, we have to have an angle of approach that is descending in nature as it approaches it. So going back to what we talked about in the woods, and I said the chipping technique, we needed to uh, lean a little bit towards the target, which would in the angle of approach. Uh, the other thing we need to look at is uh, that ball needs to have uh, some loft. That shot has to have some loft to get it up and out of there. And we need to choose a club with plenty of loft. But I wouldn't necessarily choose one that had a whole lot of bounce to it uh, because that's going to, uh, much like uh, uh, Gene Saracen when he developed the sand wedge, he saw a duck landing on a pond and how it's get it across the water. We don't want to skid across the water here. We want to go downward. Uh, so that angle of approach is going to help us and having something with less bounce on it. So it might be your 60-degree wedge that has limited bounce on it uh, to get down to it. And uh, and then we're going to give it a pretty good go at it. We're going to hinge it up in the back swing with some wrist action, and we're going to thump that club head straight down to the bottom of the golf ball and you probably aren't going to have a whole lot of follow-through because your energy is headed downward uh, to get to the bottom of the golf ball. And the key here is, uh, I called it something down, it's throwing the club head to the bottom of the golf ball. So often uh, when we try to give it a go to get something out of a deep situation, as Jamie talked about in the deep rough, uh, this isn't a whole lot different than playing out of the deep rough. We want to be sure we're throwing the club head, and all too often we see players take and they drag the handle and change their posture to try to get down to the bottom of the ball. But it's better to have some wrist action, a hinging of the wrist, and using that hinge and unhinging it to throw the club head down to the bottom of the golf ball. Don't worry too much with a lot of follow-through because your energy is going downward. And... Make sure if you have only one foot in the water, make sure you take the right shoe off. Don't take the left foot yeah. shoe off and have your right foot in the water. Well said. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it's definitely not a shot for everybody, and I don't recommend that everybody necessarily try it. Um, if you're a more skilled player and you you know manage to practice this a little bit um, over the years, you might want to consider doing that. Sometimes it's just better to take your punishment and and um and and try to get away with maybe a bogey or, or what have you because uh, it, it can you know it can multiply very quickly if you don't understand the proper techniques to do that and it's a really it's a hit and miss you can set up perfectly for it but as you said if you don't get to the bottom of the ball um and you just end up making a big splash the only thing you're going to come away with was uh some wet clothes and uh and possibly even worse if uh, there's a little mud underneath your foot and uh you slip and get in a little bit wetter um it's not a fun shot to have to do um jamie i'm going to uh come back to something and and it kind of falls under i guess the thicker rough category a little bit but there's i guess some different options that are available 
Um, you know, I think everybody's pretty set on hitting out your typical bunker shot, but on some golf courses now we see where it looks like a bunker. There's no sand, but it's a thick grass, um, and it looks just like a bunker, and sometimes the ball could be down the middle. Sometimes it could be kind of in the, you know, near the, the top and that. How are we going to typically play a shot like this? Do we play it like a bunker shot? Uh, or what are some of our options here? So if you've got a, sort of like a pot bunker, but it's not filled with sand, it's just some maybe thick grass, uh, maybe it's near the green or, or, or what have you, how would we t- play a shot like that? What would we be looking to do um, if, if we were in that situation? Uh, these are great questions and great shots to practice. I'm trying to picture exactly what you're talking about here. But um, uh, because there are, uh, I think I got you, sort of a, a like a depression area, and it's um, you know it's not hard pan. It's that thick kind of kind of. There's thick grass in there, and that uh, can really depend on your lie. There's also another one. I don't know if you're going to ask about this one, but where you almost have this like fescue stuff growing up around the edges, mm-hmm. say of a bunker. Um, that's another mm-hmm. whole story, you know, these like long reeds, fescue stuff. Um, but uh, I don't think that's what you're asking about. That That's just kind of long grass. Um, sometimes your ball can be kind of sitting up in it. And in a sense, it doesn't feel like it's buried, doesn't look or feel like it's buried. And you feel, and if it's uh, not a long shot, say greenside, uh, I think you can take, um, you know, maybe a 56 or, or even a 60, but uh, 56 wedge, something like that. Um, Again, kind of hinging it and um, somewhat of a flop shot, uh, the face of the club open and, um, uh, you know, a ball a little bit forward in your stance so that you're going to hit it on the upswing and be able to loft it up out of there. Again, you have to give it some oomph. All of these shots, you can't, you can't be too faint-hearted. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you go fast. Tempo is still really important, but it means that you have um, the acceleration. I always stay a little bit away from the word acceleration because it sounds like you go fast. But for me, what it means is that you're sure that you, you're coming through. So let's say it's a 50 back swing, 50 forward swing. It'd be more like, um, and this is pretty true on every shot, say 45 back, 55 coming through. That's acceleration. You're sure that you're coming through the ball, okay? So, um, you know, and again, it depends on the distance that you've got to go. Um, if it's, you know, say you got 80, 100, 125 yards, you know, you can you can take a, a, a for me, a wedge, a 9-iron, an 8-iron, feels like I've got a solid iron, a solid club that can get me through that grass, and, um, and it has some loft. Uh, if the ball is buried in that deep grass, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. And, again, we were talking about, you know, needing to hinge and to hit down, uh, get to the bottom of the ball so that it will pop up. Um, And that's always an interesting experience that I think is um, fun to practice and teach yourself. It's sort of counterintuitive that when you hit down on the ball, it will pop itself up. so sometimes you can kind of hood, close the face of the club, hit down on it, and it will pop itself up. Sometimes you need to open the face of the club. The counterintuitive is the one where you close the face of the club, hit down, boom, and it comes up. The other one is more of an open face club where you feel like you can kind of hinge and then sweep through and, uh, and then you know, sort of loft the ball up like as in a pitch shot. Um, so a lot, you know, it depends. Sometimes in those bunkers, it depends where you are in them. You can be on the in kind of barely in, so you're on the down slope, and you've got it's complicated with a bit of a downhill. 
sometimes it's kind of bounced and rolled so you're a little bit more on the uphill. I think it's easier to play the uphill ones, you know, when you're a little on the uphill. It tends to be in a bunker anywhere when you've got that sort of downhill that it's a li- it's harder to get uh, the club to come down behind the ball in such a way to loft it. Um, so, again, these things take practice. And I think some experimentation a lot of people have a special uh, club that's more of a go-to club for them that they feel comfortable in those situations. Um, and I like what Jim said, or your dad, <laughs> that you want to get out of trouble in one shot. That's your goal. You can't get too greedy. If you can get back in play, again, depending on the situation, and do that in one shot and then you know, um, and continue on, that's recovery. Yeah, I think that's uh, well said, and, and um, I, I believe it was uh, your dad, Jim, that you, you mentioned that said that to, to, you know, focus on getting it out in one shot. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing, too, is, you know, there's so many different, Jim, there's so many different, uh, you know, scenarios that we, could, that we could create, but I think there's one sort of underlying issue, and that is really uh, sort of going through an assessment checklist. So if you were to put for any shot, really, but if you were to put together a short checklist, maybe three points, maybe four points that every golfer should do whenever they're faced with a different scenario, whatever it may be, whether it be one of the ones we've talked about or maybe some that we haven't, what would that checklist look like? If they're, as they walk up to their ball and they are assessing the situation, what's that sort of quick checklist, mental checklist that they should be going through uh, to help make their decision and before they make that decision? What would be that, that checklist? Well, I think the very first thing you have to do is look at where the ball's sitting. You have to understand what are the uh, ingredients around it. We've talked about deep grass. Uh, Jamie talked about fescue. We've talked about hard pan, pine needles, uh, out of the water. We have to look at that situation. And what does that situation require of us to make solid contact to the golf ball? Once we've determined that, we need to then look at how far do I need to go? Where, how far is the, is the flag? And from that information, we can determine whether or not the lie fits my ability to move the ball as far as the flag is. And if that's the case, then I work my plan accordingly. However, if I look at it and say, you know what, it's 200 yards to that flag and my best hit's going to go 175. There's only two hits now. So I'm going to make a decision based on that. If I look at the line, I look at how far am I going to go, what do I need to negotiate between me and that target? What And, and let's say, what is my target? Like I just said, uh, my max shot is 175. I might be hitting a 100-yard shot. Now what am I going to do to negotiate to get there? i got to hit it low or I have to hit it high, I have to hit it, uh, allow it to roll. Uh, it's uphill, it's downhill. I take those bits of information and, and kind of compute it. But to keep it as simple as possible, look at the lie. What does it allow me to do? Where do I want to hit it to? How far do I want to hit this golf ball? Do I have to hit it high or low? And then I make the plan of action to accomplish that task. And if you're always looking at your shot to say, how do I move it from this situation to a better situation? And I think what happens with a lot of players is they look at their situation 
and they try to move it to the best situation. Example, I'm in the trees, but I still want to try to make par birdie. Well, that may not be the best situation. It may be the best situation to move this thing 50 yards down the fairway, and now let's go on from there. Because when we try to go to that max and best, sometimes that causes us to, one, have performance anxiety. We don't perform as well as we'd like, and we rattle it around in the trees a few times, and we make a nine instead of a six. So I kind of got a little off there, but let's come back to it and say we look at the lie, we look at where we want to go to, and we make our plan to get there. Yeah, and I think also, too, you know, and, and this is obviously going to happen. Sometimes the decision you make still does not get pulled off the way you had hoped, and you find yourself in a similar or even maybe even worse situation. And I would imagine what you would want to do at that point, Jim, is to basically rinse and repeat. So go through the same process again. Uh, would that be correct? If, if you, you know, didn't get out of the trouble and you made the situation the same or worse, you want to go through that whole process again, correct? Absolutely. And, and, and if we just look at the, the objective of golf, the objective of golf is to hit a golf ball a certain distance at a target. And if we always boil it down to that, make sure that our target is one that I can get to, one that is safe if I don't hit my perfect one, and then let's move it to that. So we, every single shot we play in golf is we hit it a certain distance at a target. Not maximum distance necessarily, but a certain distance. And if you always take your plan to say, I'm going to hit my ball to a better place than it is right now. And that better place might be uh, hitting it out of the deep rough over 10 feet into the fairway. How do I get it to a better place than I am right now, giving me a chance to be successful on my next hit? Well said. Um, you know, th- th- there's always, I- it always goes back to this, and, and I always, you know, we- we've-, we've talked about this so many, many times on-, on the show over the years. It really goes down to understanding and being realis- realistic, excuse me, about your-, your own personal ability. Too often we see students going out there playing with their friends, and, you know, one guy's maybe, um, you know, a 10 handicap, maybe, you know, the others are uh, a 20 plus handicap, um, you know, they're going to play and approach things a little bit differently. If they're a little closely matched, then it's, that's one thing. But again, uh, you can't always go by the handicap either because there's a lot of factors that can be put into that as well. So you really have to understand what your personal abilities are. And Jamie, I think a way to, to sort of ascertain that is when we practice, obviously we need to be out in the golf course in, in real life situations, but when we're practicing, I think to prepare for things like this, not just, you know, putting the ball in a divot or, or, you know, hitting off a hard pan. And those are great things to do. And if you have an option to practice that, but I just think that really going through a a good practice session and focusing on, okay, what, what can I realistically accomplish when I'm out there in the practice tee for, let's say I'm working through my, my game and I'm spending an hour on the practice tee at various different stations of very different things. I think what I'm really trying to decide here is, okay, what are my abilities and what are some of the areas that I lack uh, confidence in? And walk us through when you're working in some of your, your schools where you're working through trouble shots and things like that. 
I would imagine you're working on preparation to help them deal with situations. Give us an idea of some of the things that you do. Well, in fact, we, I just taught a, um, a golf mastery school last week um, with Dana Bates, uh, if you know her. Uh, we had just a great time. And um, so one of the things that uh, I like to do in my golf schools or a clinic, uh, whatever, is to um, get on the golf course. You can set up stations and you can practice, which is really a good thing to do. But once we've practiced some different um, situations, some of the ones we've talked about, um, even things like your ball is um, it's up uh, on the fringe of the green, but it's backed up against the long grass, you know, so you've got, you're on the fringe, but you're almost in the, the longer grass, and that's a tough shot, right? Do you putt it? Your putter gets stuck. Do you use a hybrid? Can you chip it? Uh, can you do a belly wedge shot? You know, what do you do? So, I mean, there's just so many shots. Um, we were talking about the woods. Sometimes you're on the golf course. You could even be in the fairway, but you've got uh, trees ahead of you or overhanging trees, and you've got to hit a low mm-hmm. shot. How do you do that? How do you put it back in your stands and extend that club down the line without – uh, you know, kind of coming to a follow through. So how do you keep it low under trees, uh, things like that. So, um, and then what I like to do is to get out on the golf course and we play scrambles. Uh, we just did this last week. So, you know, usually you think about a scramble and in a, like a charity event, something you're trying to win, right? Uh, you pick the best shot, you go from best shot to best shot to best shot. Uh, in this scramble, the learning trouble shot scramble, you pick um, sometimes the worst shots, you know, the ones that you need to work on. Uh, or we purposely drop the ball in a difficult place. For some people, a trouble shot is even something like um, they need to hit a pitch shot over a bunker onto the green and onto a, to a short pin, for example. Um, that's, in some sense, is a trouble shot, uh, a more challenging shot than your typical uh, because you've got to hit it maybe a little bit over the water or over the bunker. Um, and you don't have a lot of green to work with. So all these kinds of situations. And just get on the golf course, drop the ball in that situation, uh, have, have some time. I typically do this at the end of the day when there's not a, you know, you're not going to hold the play on the golf course, um, and be able to hit some different shots. And it's always fun to do it with uh, some different people. Not, uh, it could be just you or you and, and the, um, the professional, and I do recommend that people get some uh, take some lessons or have a professional help them with these kinds of shots. You can't exactly figure them out on your own or from, from YouTube. Um, but uh, you want to practice them and you have a few people with you. It makes it fun. Uh, you can try some. Uh, a lot of it's experimentation and really seeing what works. Um, and for the individual, what club or clubs are your go-to clubs? Do you feel most comfortable with in some difficult situations? Um, and uh, and get used to that. So uh, it's, for me, it's just fun to actually play a scramble type of, um, you know, some holes, uh, a nine or three or six, whatever it is, and just keep going to the tough shots, the, the, all the shots that we're talking about, and work with them. And those also includes uh, uphill and downhill and side hill and, you know, where you're not on just flat terrain. It can be fairway bunkers. It can be um, a fried egg in a bunker or, you know, these, all the kind of shots that we're afraid of that, uh, and don't have that much opportunity, but they come up and we need to be prepared. I, and, I couldn't and, agree um, more. I, and, and I did say the principles, these are always my principles, Ted, and anybody who's heard me, uh, you know, on Coach's Corner or anywhere, um, I always bring in the martial arts. And 
being centered, being able to keep your centered mentally and uh, physically and emotionally is really important, i.e., don't get freaked out by the situation um, or get kind of negative, like, oh, I can't do this, oh, this is impossible kind of thing. Um, everything's possible. And also to really get down in your legs and in your feet and to keep balance. Balance is absolutely crucial. It, it's crucial throughout the game, but on all of these trouble shots, it's even more crucial. So that's part of the preparation. And as John was saying, you know, looking realistically, what are your options uh, to get to a safe place? What's the distance that you realistically can get to? Uh, what's your route to get to it? What's your best club, given the lie? And then make the shot. You know, use the technique uh, that you have, have learned um, to, to deal with this situation. Right. And, and, and you're exactly right. I think you have to be, um, you know, you have to go through not just the routine, but you have to be able to, to focus on some of the, the different types of shots and practice. And, and, you know, attitude has a lot to do with it as well. Emotions, you know, a lot of people get in a situation, Jim, where uh, they, you know, they, they get overwhelmed by the shot because they haven't really practiced it very much. And a lot of other factors, um, you know, uh, again, maybe not playing that much golf um, at all, um, can be uh, overwhelming when you're faced with that. But I think that the underlying thing is that people have to consider and don't really think about, um, you know, when we see them practicing on, on, on the, uh, in the practice area, is they're, for the most part, always hitting off perfect lies. And as we all know, as professionals, um, those are far and few between when you get out at most golf courses, unless you're playing on a, a perfectly flat uh, golf course, which I don't know of any, at least I don't remember ever playing any, um, so you have so many different scenarios, and more often than not, some of the scenarios that we talked about, many others, uh, some that Jamie pointed out, Jim, I'm sure you could think of many others too that we haven't covered tonight, um, it leaves you in a position where the majority of time you're going to be faced with um, a potentially challenging situation, whether it's a, a, you know, a, a, the lie um, you know, or the circumstances around where your golf ball is in the woods and that sort of thing. Um, but Share some final thoughts, if you will. If, if somebody is out there and really struggling um, with their game, and, and particularly in some of these areas that we've touched on tonight, what would be some sort of final thoughts or comments that you would want to advise them if you were standing in front of them on the lesson tee right now? What would you say to them? What would the conversation be? That was for Jim. Jim, I don't know if you get your mic mute. I'm sorry, my, I had my mic on mute there. Uh, so you were talking about uh, just in general struggling or they're struggling because they're in all kinds of trouble. I think there's two different approaches here. One, if they're, in, if they're continually getting into trouble, they have to be patient. They just have to be patient and continue to do the things we've discussed night and that is get yourself out of that trouble in one shot move on and make the best score you can on that hole now the thing I see happen all the time when a player starts to struggle in their round and they're not they're hitting in different shots that they're not pleased with so often they immediately go back to oh well did I get this club in the right position here? Did I have my, my wrist 
uh, hinged at the right point in my backswing, or did I get the backswing into the right location? They immediately go into the which takes them away from the target, which is what our goal is in this game, is to get our ball at a target. And if they'll find that they can have some type of routine that in that routine perhaps is part of their lesson, maybe their lesson is that they have to swing the arms up and down and their practice drill is to put their feet together. Let that be part of the routine. But when it's time to hit that golf ball, get into, I want this ball to go at that target. And part of that routine, going back to what we talked about earlier, the steps, what's the lie? What is it allowing me to do? And then what's the picture in front of me that I need to accomplish? And so often players go and they look at the picture. They say, oh, I need to hit this up and over this bunker onto the green. Well, their ball's sitting in a divot. And hitting a high, soft shot out of the divot is near impossible. But they try it anyhow, and then they send it into the bunker, and they knock it over the green and into the pond on the other side, and now their frustration level goes up. So we have to stay in that process. Can I do this? What's the lie allow me to do? And now how do I move it to a better place than I am right now, giving me a chance to hit a good shot and try to stay away from Swing technique when executing the shot. Swing technique can be a rehearsal swing in the pre-shot routine, but not in the actual execution of the shot. Again, well said. You know, there's so many factors, I think, guys, that that golfers need to really consider. And, and, And it really boils down to understanding how to handle yourself when you're out in the golf course. It's very easy to... Um, you know, manipulate things when you're on the practice tee and you're warming up and, and that sort of thing because you're typically in ideal uh, situation or, or circumstances. Uh, but once you step onto that first tee and you've hit the ball wherever it may have gone, now all of a sudden real course situations start to come in. And it's very interesting how people handle uh, pressure differently. Some people can, um, you know, I, I can think of from a professional standpoint, I can remember very early on in Tiger's career as an example where he would hit uh, a poor tee shot and be in a situation where he now had to recover. But he was very calm about it because he had worked on those recovery shots. He'd worked on some of those difficult lies so that he was able to, uh, to do that with, with uh, you know, a, a very high percentage of regularity of success. And, you know, unfortunately, amateurs lack that, and they think, well, I, you know, I don't hit the ball as well as Tiger or I don't hit the ball as well as so-and-so. And really, that's not a lot of times what the problem is. It's just that the way they, their thought process is, just as you gave it a good example there, you know, if they've got to hit over a bunker and they're in a divot and they need a high, soft shot, well, that's not the ideal situation to, to try to implement that. So you need to figure out another strategy, which what makes sense, and also what works to your ability. So um, some great points and uh, great discussion tonight, guys. I've, hopefully, we've helped a few of the listeners out there. Uh, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity uh, Jim, I'll let you go and uh, let the folks know the best way they can reach out for you and then Jamie. Well, thank you again, Ted, uh, for having me on the show. And, and Jamie, it was great to be on the show with you. Uh, people can reach me. Uh, they can find me on my website at royalstcloudacademy.com and email directly at jim at com. And, uh, 
keep playing this great game and enjoying it out there all. And uh, hopefully uh, I could have a chance to help you sometime. Well said. And uh, thank you again, always, uh, Jim, for bringing your best. I appreciate that and uh, enjoyed having you this season on the show. Um, Jamie, what about you? The best way for folks if they want to reach out to you and communicate uh, and, and see how you can help their game? Uh, yeah, people can reach me uh, through my website, thecenteredway.com, T-H-E, centered, E-D, thecenteredway.com, Jamie, J-M-I-E, at thecenteredway.com, uh, and also on Facebook or LinkedIn, Jamie Leno Zimron, Leno like uh, Jay Leno, <laughs> uh, Jamie Leno Zimron. Uh, and also, I like to talk to people, so uh, phone is good, 760-492-4653, 760-492-GOLF. Um, yeah, and uh, I love to hear from people, and um, it's exciting to see people, you know, make some uh, real true game improvements. And I hope, uh, Ted, maybe sometime we can talk a little bit more about um, like, uh, what we like to call scoring tees, um, which can help mm-hmm. you not get in so much trouble. Uh, and, you know, some people are just out there for the adventure. <laughs> and, uh, right. you know, they're just like, whatever happens, and they're not necessarily, they're just like, woo. Um, and, you know, kind of getting their money's worth and they get some good laughs. Uh, I think we all have to be ready to laugh on the golf course and the situations that we get in and how we do or don't get out of them. You have to have a sense of humor. Just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. You have to be willing to, um, you know, look at the situation, not just on the course, but uh, of the day. Are you there just to have some fun that day, or you're in a more serious mode where it's a tournament involved, where your score matters a little bit more? Obviously, it matters all the time, but um, there are some situations. But you always have to remember to have fun. That's what the game is about. It's a game after all. And uh, if you're taking yourself too seriously all the time, you're not going to enjoy yourself and more than likely not going to want to stick with it. So it can be a, a tough game, but as uh, both of you have mentioned, uh, get out there and get some lessons. Find yourself a good professional, whether it be a PGA or LPGA professional in your area, and connect with them and uh, work out a plan to help improve your game. But, guys, thank you very, very much. I hope both of you had a great uh, 4th of July uh, holiday weekend uh, and uh, that much continued success and look forward to having you guys back on the Coach's Corner panel. Have a great uh, rest of your week. Thank you both. Thank Thanks you, Ted. Ted, and have a nice vacation. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was uh, Jim Endicott and Jamie Leno-Zimron uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. For the first time, each of them uh, were on together, so it was a great discussion talking about some of the trouble shots and recovery shots, if you will, that you may be faced with out in the golf course. Um, as I get ready to welcome my very special guest this evening is uh, the CEO of Power T, uh, Martin Wyeth. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll listen to a message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, everybody. And 
as uh, I get ready to uh, welcome my uh, very special guest this evening. We're just waiting for him to uh, uh, to call in, and uh, I will introduce him uh, here shortly. But let me just remind everybody, of course, um, I am live every uh, Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, best way to find us is uh, to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash uh, golf talk live, and that will take you to the main page. And during the live broadcast, of course, I'll be front and center right there. You'll see the, uh, that we're, we're uh, during a live broadcast. But for some reason, if you're not able to tune in live uh, or you're coming late to the program and you want to hear some of the portion that you've missed, uh, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and scroll down to the on-demand section. And all of the shows, as I mentioned, are live, but they are also auto-recorded. So you can listen to the recorded version there. Or you can just listen to the recorded version on uh, a number of different uh, popular uh, podcast sites um, that you can visit uh, Spotify and iTunes uh, are uh, some of the top ones out there, CastBox and many others uh, uh, in the closing uh, uh, um, intro or exit from the show. Uh, we'll tell you some more places that you can go and listen to uh, uh, to this program as well. But um, I see that my, my guest is uh, online here, so let me just uh, read a little bit about him and then I'll bring him on. Uh, my very special guest is the uh, founder and CEO of uh, Power T, uh, Martin Wyeth. Uh, he grew up in Cheddar, England. A very interesting backstory. Uh, the town, of course, where cheddar cheese was invented. Uh, in fact, he uh, made cheddar cheese as a kid, uh, one of his uh, childhood jobs. Uh, we'll have to ask him about that a little bit. Uh, and even though he played uh, certainly golf a handful of times as a youngster, he didn't really take up uh, the game properly until he was in his 20s. Uh, his father traveled uh, quite a bit of the time as an insurance sales per, uh, person for Prudential. Uh, and uh, he also uh, went to uh, the University of Liverpool, uh, but he graduated from the University of East uh, Anglia. So uh, we're going to talk to him about uh, Power T, but we're going to talk to him some other things as well. So please welcome tonight's very special guest, Martin Wyeth. Good evening, Martin, and Thank welcome. You, Thank you very much, Ted. It's a pleasure to be on. My, my pleasure to have you. I have to ask you the obvious. Tell me a little bit about uh, cheddar cheese. I did not know that uh, that's where it was from. Uh, one of my favorite cheeses. I got to ask you before we get into our golf uh, discussion. Tell me a little bit about uh, that experience. So cool. Well, cheddar cheese is uh, it was invented in cheddar because of the cheddar caves. So they were a nice, cool place to uh, to store dairy products and keep them for a long time. And the, 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 the cheddar gets its name, or I don't know which came first, but the process of cheddaring cheese is, uh, is what, what, what basically turns milk into, uh, into that, that, wonderful, uh, that wonderful cheese. Um, now, did you actually make the cheese yourself, or, or did, what was the process that you were involved with? Sure, yeah. So we, we, there was a... Back in the day before regulations of food, you know, food manufacturer regulations had sort of squeezed the small producer out, uh, we had a vat. Oh, my goodness. It was 20, 25, 30 feet long by memory, about four feet wide, four feet deep. And every, every morning there would be a delivery of whey. Um, we'd heat that up, so they pumped steam around the... The vat was stainless steel. They pumped the steam uh, or milk. It was delivery of whole milk, obviously. Uh, and, and then mm -hmm. in the process of heating it up, the whey would separate out, leaving curds underneath. So the, the milk would effectively separate. 
they drain the way off um, and then you end up with this sort of white it's called curds um, carpet on the bottom of the vat that got cut up with a uh, with a knife that looked a bit like Freddy Krueger's hand <laughs> you'd walk up and down with this knife cutting the uh, cutting the way into thin strips then you salt it um, and then we mixed it I think it was mixed I think there was a machine got involved in the mixing I don't think it was all by hand these were fair you know for, for a manual process that so you were shifting a fair amount of, of weight of material um, right. once that was done it got you know you'd, you'd ladle out an amount into a mold in you line the mold with gauze ladle the the curds in and then close the gauze over the top and it would go in into a big um, hand operated press where you turn the wheel at the top squeeze the way out and this was all done as a sort of spectacle for for um, visiting tourists so you were you were sort of part of a it was part part um, act and part uh, production and then the, mm -hmm. the cheeses would go up into a curing room where they got turned every day and uh, and the good ones got kept there for three or four years Wow. I had I had to ask Martin because it was such an interesting um you know story and uh, you know especially for for a youngster at that time to be involved in that process had to be kind of uh, exciting so I couldn't forgive me but I couldn't resist asking you uh, as, as no, the first thank, question. Thank it's, a, it's a long time <laughs> since I've thought about that job. I, I can't even remember how old I was but probably I I'm going to say somewhere between um, 12 and 16, I would guess. Well, very, very so, yeah. interesting. Uh, I've I've never met anybody that did that as a youngster, and uh, obviously it had to be a very interesting process. And like you said, a little bit of a job, but also for show as well uh, for for those uh, for those bystanders watching the process. Um, definitely something interesting for uh, a youngster uh, growing up. So. I want to talk, obviously, we're going to talk about power teak, but I, I want to sort of set this up um, a little bit differently than than most conversations about golf because, you know, one of the areas, and I, I've hit off, you know, regular turf and I've hit off mats, and I'll be the first to admit that hitting off a lot of the artificial turfs and that is not a pleasurable experience um, for, for a lot of folks. But you guys have developed a, a system, and I want you to talk about some of the, the pitfalls of, of what typically has been out there on the market and why power tea has become so popular um, and particularly what about the design of the power tea units that makes them a much more enjoyable experience versus some versus some of the more traditional mats so talk about traditionally so that people have an understanding what we're talking about um, some of the traditional cool. mats and then how power tea sort of fits into this thanks Ted. that's a that's a really good place to start um, you know, we're, we're all about bringing the ball back to the golfer uh, and, and allowing them to stay focused and stay still and, 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 and calm over the ball, you know, without distraction. But ultimately, as you say, mats have an incredibly bad rap. And um, certainly it was one of, it was Jim Furyk's probably number one concern when we met him. So I think you know, I could go on a long time about mats, um, but we we use two mats 
we use one mat where the ball comes up, which is a fibrous material. It's manufactured by a company in Canada called Fiberbelt. And it's mm-hmm. basically long strands of crimp, crimped nylon, uh, an, inch and a, an, an inch and a half long. And so it's sort of where the ball comes up, the ball is sort of suspended on top of these. Um, it's like having, if you can imagine having dozens of, of brushes um, side by side, the ball's sitting up on the bristles. Now, um, typically, low handicapped golfers don't like surface because the ball fits up. It's a bit like playing off a soiser. You know, you get, and, and, and a lot of guys who like to hit down on the ball when they play off a soiser will hit the ball high in the face. And if I practice off the soiser, well, I tend to hit the ball high in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have another mat adjacent to where the ball comes up that if you're hitting short irons or, or mid irons or approach shots and you want to get some feel, it's a, it's a, it's a specially formulated mat that we designed. Um, you get no sticking of mess to the back of a golf club. And we have an enormous amount of shock-resisting foam underneath the mat. So you can hit down really hard. You can sort of put all your weight on your left side if you're a right-hander, load up, strike hard down on the ball with a wedge. In fact, when I've got a low-handicapped golfer who doesn't like mats, that's the first thing I ask them to do. You know, move the ball mm. to the back of your stance, hit down really hard on it, hit down so hard you feel like you're going to hurt yourself. And they do it, and the look on their face when they when they complete the shot is is a, you know, very rewarding. It's such a great feeling surface, and it's really the number one uh, endorsement that we get from Jim. He loves hitting off our mats. Jim, funnily enough, is the one that likes to hit off the fiber belt. He's a picker. He describes himself as. So he, he likes to hit off the fiber belt. He's got got one in his backyard. He hits thousands of balls off it when he's at home. Um, but really, what's the derivative of this of this thing? The, the mats you're talking about generally are at country clubs or golf courses, and they've been engineered to look nice. So right. they're a long, continuous strip. Generally speaking, they're some kind of polypropylene mix. When when you hit down on them, you actually melt the fibers. That's why you get the green stuff on the back of your club. And, and what you're feeling a lot of the time when you get that shot is not um, you're not bottoming out with the club. The club is actually sticking to the polypropylene, which is sending a shock wave up the shaft of the club. And if you hit a you know Anyone who hits a lot of balls off of that is going to hurt themselves. Uh, it's only a matter of time. You know, they, you, you, you've either got to change your swing to not hit down on the ball, mm-hmm. uh, or you're going to hurt yourself. So, you know, so where clubs are at the moment, a lot of clubs, they're sort of between a rock and a hard place because when, when, the, when the weather's bad, and the grass is not growing, you know, the tea line gets worn out, whether the weather's good or bad. By the end of the day, there's no grass left. So their alternative, you've either got to hit out a really bad chewed up grass, or you've got to hit off a mat that's going to teach you not to hit down on the ball or hurt yourself. Right. Um, so, 
we're a we're a really really good or at clubs we're a really good augmentation to grass if you look at if you look at habits of golfers the number one time that a golfer wants to go out and hit a bucket of balls other than the warm-up bucket before playing is afternoon and evening and and i know from going to my club um, that if you go down there any time after two o'clock, there's no grass left. So they, you know, they can be in the same situation um, where there's just really, really bad grass, or you've got to hit off of rock hard mats. And so, when you put power to in, what we recommend people do is, you know, run the grass when the grass is sensible, um, up to midday or, or, or slightly beyond. But then really when you're getting down to destroying the last ounce of root, root structure uh, and really making it hard to bring that grass back, um, you know, move, move back onto the power seeds. And then those power seeds can deliver balls and a really good practice experience all the way out till sundown. So where we've done this for clubs, the, um, the range engagement has just literally gone through the roof. So instead of the range being absolutely deserted after, you know, three o'clock, four o'clock, just a few very low handicap guys grinding it out. Um, when, we've, when we've done power tea at the back, the range has actually become a destination and it can be packed all the way out to sundown. Uh, it's just so much more enjoyable to hit off a power tea. And of course, you're providing that, that facility when people want it, which is afternoons and evenings. Right, exactly. And, you know, you raise a really interesting point, too. I just want to touch on one more thing. You know, with, with traditional mats, I mean, I've hit, you know, gone up to a range, a local, you know, range center, um, you know, practice center, driving range, and that will have sort of the, the older versions, if you will, of, of the uh, traditional mats. And you're exactly right. You know, it, they're, not, um, they're not comfortable at all to hit off of. Over time, they flatten out, um, you know, they're – you know, there's wear marks in, um, you know, the, the mat itself. So when you're standing there, you know, one foot's a little lower than the other and, and um, you know, forget about the hitting area. You know, so they're, they're one of two things, depending on the center and who's running it, they're either changing them out a lot, um, but more often than not, they aren't doing that. But the other issue, too, is that you're not getting a, an accurate strike. Because, as you said, you because it is an uncomfortable experience hitting, you know, trying to hit down. In fact, you can't really hit down. You almost have to sweep the ball off because hitting down, a lot of times they're setting it on top of concrete. So you're, you're getting that shock, uh, you know, it's not absorbing the shock very well, and it can hurt. Um, and, and traditionally, that's what turned a lot of people off. But I, I like what you're talking about here, uh, and, and obviously – through your own club's experience and others, um, a lot of venues are benefiting from having power key units. So talk about some of the successes, if you wouldn't know, and what's the difference or how do you, uh, the installations differ at a golf course versus maybe a practice center or driving range. But talk about a little bit about some of the successes that you've had and, and why. I will. Thanks, Ed. And, and just a very brief point that you, you prompted me on is we lease our equipment. So as a matter of course, we replace the mats every 20 months. So our mats never get old. They never get compressed. They never get tired. You never get into that situation that you're talking about with traditional mats. 
So um, go, going on to venues, um, you know, we're at St Andrews. We've been working with St Andrews for 20 years. If you if you hook the ball good and hard, you're on the seven. You're on the road hole. Um, where you know we we're at Wentworth, the Belfry, Dromolan Castle, Celtic Manor, the the 2020 uh, 2010 Ryder Cup destination of Parity. They're all basically putting Parity in because it's it represents the best you can have. It, it really is the most enjoyable practice experience you can give to a golfer, bar none. There really is nothing out there that's going to help the golfer more than power T to get find a good rhythm, stay in a good spot, and you know finish their practice session confident and refreshed. Um, and that's great, you know, if you're from Andrews or if you're you know if you've got an unlimited budget, you know Celtic Manor, you know the range revenue there is meaningless to them. Uh, it was the same at Wentworth. You were paying a thousand dollars to play the West Course, and you got a party to warm up on. Um, but for the, you know, for for the rest of us, where we have to uh, we have to balance the books. Party is a it's a revenue generator. Um, it it encourages a much broader demographic of golfer to come to the facility. So the the analogy that I you know that, that resonates with most people who understand golf is if you get someone who's interested in the game, they sort of <clears throat> rattle around in the garage, find their grandfather's seven iron um, with a bladed you know a bladed club head and a stiff shaft, um, and they take it down to the local grass tee line and start you know playing it down in the afternoon. They're probably you know, with the best will in the world, unless they're very naturally talented indeed, they're probably going to get about one in 20, one in 30 balls in the air. Now, if you take that same beginner and you put them on a power tee, obviously they address the ball. They usually hit it off the tee where the ball comes up. They won't drag it onto the standing mat. Now, if that golfer swings over the top and just clips the top of the ball, he knows he's done that. The ball sort of scuttles off and finishes up 10 feet away. But he knows that with his next swing, he has to stay down. He's, he knows he's come up because he knows he hit the top of the ball. So on the next swing, without changing anything, he stays down. Now, maybe he toes it with the next shot, but he knows he toes it because the club twisted open in his hand. So he'll step into the ball a little bit. And what you'll see, and this is with all levels of golfer, um, you know, right down to the, you know, to the five handicap level, is that people find the middle of the club face a lot quicker. And when they found it, they tend to be able to hold it for the whole practice session. And it's a huge confidence builder. It makes the whole, you know, you take the guy who, you know, hit two out of 50 in the air, how likely is he to come back to the facility or even engage with golf Compared to if he if he hits off a power tee and he you know he gets thirty out of fifty in the air and hits a couple of really right. really good shots, you know the engagement factor with power tee is literally off the charts. So we really you know we're a tool in so many ways. Power tee is a tool. It's a tool to grow your business. It's a tool to improve your game. It's improve. It's a tool to you know get your reps in. Um, 
And if you use that tool well, it's going to serve you well. Um, but it really depends on who you are, what, what you're looking out for it. But, you know, there, there really isn't a practice environment that we don't augment. Um, and, and it all falls through to the bottom line. You know, um, we had a, a customer, we had a customer in Austin, Texas, who put in a million dollars worth of power fees, 90 machines across three sites. And the following month, after we installed, it was over 100 degrees every day, went into 105. And his range, his, his golf course got slaughtered. You know, play was down 20 or 30%. At the same time, the driving range revenue was up by 10 to 15%. So even with these record temperatures, um, the differential between lost golf course and increased range is something like 45%. And that's all driven by, you know, people enjoying themselves. So it's a pretty mm -hmm. cool way to make a living. We're just helping people, basically helping people have fun. Well, and that's that's a great point, uh, Martin, because, you know, as a golf professional, a teacher professional, you know, one of the one of the problems that I see looking up and down the range, and, and I'm talking about a typical driving range where they don't have the power tee, is number one. You know, there, there's all kinds of, you know, divots by the end of the day, um, and it's a greenskeeper's nightmare, <laughs> you know, yeah, oh, and, and, and fix all that, and it takes a long time. And, you know, some facilities that have a lot of, you know, flexibility to move the, the, the hitting area around uh, or multiple levels, you know, can get away with a little bit more. But some of the smaller facilities that don't, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, a lot of damage. And, you know, one of the things that, I like to see as a professional is I want to see people out there working on their game. And, um, you know, obviously there's a difference between, a, you know, a warm up session, but what I like about what, what you guys are talking about here is, is not just making it a more enjoyable because it is a game after all golf is a game and you want people to go out and have fun, but it's also, it's developed into a great revenue source for a lot of, you know, uh, facilities because it's keeping people out there and when people stay at the golf course and they're working on their game and they're, you know, they're having fun and they're excited about their game, then they're going to do other things as well. They're going to go into the pro shop a little more often. Maybe they're going to get some, uh, you know, more beverages as, as the day goes on. Whatever the case is, they're likely going to stick around a lot more because they're having fun. And that's really what it, from a, from a, you know, a, a, the golf manager's perspective or the management team at a golf course, that's what you're looking for is you're looking for that revenue. Um, not just out on the golf course, but also within the facility as well. And if the longer people stay there the more and, and are excited about staying there, the more that's going to happen. I want to ask you, speaking of professionals, because I noticed in some of the notes that uh, you guys have done, uh, you've been collaborating with Rick Smith, who, of course, is a well-known uh, golf professional. Um, what has been some of his perspective um, on this, and what are his thoughts? And I know that he's working with a number of golfers of all skill levels, including pros, using Powerty. What has been some of his feedback? Well, his number one point was the famous Furitz. He loves the mats. You know, he really, he really doesn't like the, um, he really doesn't like the, the classic country club mat. They're, they're just wrist breakers. They're jarring. They're, you know, they're terrible. Now, obviously, he teaches a lot of very, very high caliber um, golfers, which, you know, 
golf is one of the golf is a very odd industry it tends to be run by people who tried to or or played it at some level uh competitively um and tend to have you know got down to scratch and as such it sort of innately tries to market itself to low handicap golfers and so i'll often walk into guys businesses and they're you know they're just throwing everything they've got at winning the low handicap golfers and they're not, you know, they're not looking at it from a business perspective where, you know, right. 70, 80, 90% of your revenue is coming from, you know, people who just want to go out, you know, by the time they're on the fourth hole, they're on their fifth beer. Um, now, you know, there's some people who can play golf like that. I'm, I'm sadly not one of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, me neither. They're not, there to, they're not there to shoot a number, you know, they're there right. to blow off steam to have a laugh with their mates, you know, if they hit a couple of good shots, great. And now that that's where you, you know, that's where a lot of your money is coming from. And even more ridiculously, if golf wants to grow, you know, above and beyond the COVID boom that we've all enjoyed, you know, right. your growth area is non-golfers. So how do you get a non-golfer mm-hmm. having fun, you know, yep. with a golf club in their hand? And of course, top golfers really crack that. Um, to a large mm-hmm. degree, um, you know, you give you, you give them a great, comfortable environment. And then there's not a blade of grass anywhere in sight in top golf. But sort of rewinding back to Rick, so he loves the maps. We we're working with him. He's doing some 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 analysis on how well people hit the ball on parity versus grass. And one of the things we're really interested in uh, is trying to understand on warm-up, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jack Nicklaus, when he was warming up, but in his heyday, he teed everything up on the range. He Mm -hmm. teed up his wedges. He teed up his, you know, his nine, eight, seven, six iron. He teed everything up. He played nothing down on the range. Now... um, you know, agronomy was, was, was much more primitive back then. The courses weren't as, as sharp as they are now. So you could argue that he had to do that because the condition of the range maybe wasn't so good. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, his, part, his next part of his routine was to go and sink two or three foot putts. Now, you know, he was the best putter of his day, arguably. Um, so why is he only thinking two or three foot putts? And he's very well, this has been very well documented. He's, if you ever asked him that question, he wasn't too kind to you. He'd say, well, dummy, you know, I want to I wanna go to the golf course with an image of the ball disappearing in the hole. I don't, I don't want to go to the golf course having just lipped, lipped them out. Um, so what he right. was doing was building, you know, building confidence before he went out and played. And this really is my prime bugbear with, um, with clubs. You know, if you're going to go out and play in the afternoon, you're standing there, the grass is absolutely destroyed. You're trying to prop the ball up on a bit of remaining grass between a host of other divots. Your feet Mm -hmm. are in divots, so you're not getting any traction with your spikes. You know, once the top layer is gone, you're you're slipping around. Your feet are not level with the ball if you're standing in divots. So if you don't compensate by gripping down the club, you're going to hit it flat, and you might not notice that. So that's going to be a real confidence destroyer. Once you've gripped it down, you're going to change your yardage. So the number you get back where the ball lands is not accurate feedback. So, you know, and Furyk, 
absolute Fuhrer, both Furyk and Hogan were renowned or Furyk is renowned he won't hit out of a bad line if the range is chewed up <clears throat> he's got a warm up he'll hit half a dozen wedges just to you know turn his hand over and then he'll go and putt he's not going to He's not going to hit out of a bad lie, and nor would Hogan. Um, so, you know, clubs all over the country are, are really stuck when it comes to afternoon golf because you really, you've got to either hit it out of the divots. And I'm certain, you know, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a pro golfer, you will have seen Tiger tee off last time he played at St. Andrews. And, you know, my, I was certainly very excited the way he hit that drive. And then, lo and behold, it lands in a divot, 105 yards out, whatever it was. Now, you know, even though he was recovering from his injuries, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that's a real bread and butter shot. Tiger would have put that, you know, three feet past the hole and given himself a good birdie part. What happened? You know, he's playing out of a divot and hits it in the berm and, um, you know, destroys, destroys any chance of momentum on his second shot because of a bad lie. So why we force our country club golfers to practice out of that stuff is absolutely beyond me when there's when there's a better alternative around. Yeah, and, and, and I agree 100%. I mean, we've all been in that situation. Uh, again, you know, if you're out a little earlier in the day, uh, in the morning, you you know, it's it's like on the golf course. You know, when you're playing an earlier round, the golf course is in a little better shape as it, you know, the day progresses. Depending on where you are, it's drying out a little bit. You know, you've had a thousand people walking along it, and the greens are not as, uh, you know, as true as they were earlier in the day. So there's a lot of factors, and so it should be no different on the practice tee as well. I want to get you to just talk a little bit about. I know you you kind of glossed over it, but I want to maybe get into a little bit more detail. Um, what I found really interesting is, is you know, we've been talking about the mat, but there's another component to this. It's you also have, uh, along with the mat, is an auto tee system uh, that offers, uh, you know, 40 different tee heights. Talk a little bit about that because that's something as well um, that's a, a great feature that goes along with this. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, really the nub of what we do. Um, the mats are really important um, without question. But the whole concept of parity is that you can stay in position between shots if you want to. So it enables you to do a whole ton of things that you just can't do in a conventional setting. And, you know, one of them, that you know, if you get stuck and you can't hit the ball for whatever reason, you know, you know how frustrating that is. You, you just, you've got, you, you've got absolutely nothing. One of the really nice things you can do with parity is just take a really neutral setup to the ball, put the ball on its lowest tee height, set the club behind it, and just chip it. You know, chip it 20 feet with a wide backswing, wide follow through, and then do it again and then do it again. And each time you finish, you hold your finish, the ball comes back up, you come back to the ball and do it again. And then what, what you can do with power tee, because you're not letting go of the club, because you're not moving your feet, you can start to lengthen your swing. And the moment you lose the center of the club face, you come back down. If you find the center, you extend your swing. So you can very 
very rapidly find the middle of the club face. Once you've got that, you can start to feel your golf swing and you can bring yourself back from, you know, from despair fairly quickly. Um, and that concept of being able to hold your, hold your position between shots, one of the things Furyk did for us when he joined the team was he said, you basically, you need alignment, mat, uh, alignment lines on the maps. Well, we, 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 we couldn't actually print on the maps because our maps get so much wear, anything you print on them just looks terrible within, within a month. So we designed this series of elasticated strings that can set your, you, you can set your toes against them. So rather than using a tour stick where if you catch it with your toe, it moves, you've got to keep joggling it back into position. You stretch these strings across your mat. They mark where your toe position is. So that keeps your alignment. And then we have a few discs that you can place on your swing path and show you where to align your face. So if you want to, you want to hit a cut, you hold the face open. You want to hit a draw, you hold the face closed. And so by placing these alignment strings and markers, we can get the golfer to really stay in position and focus on other things, you know, focus on release timing, focus on how you start the downswing, focus on, you know, whatever you really, whatever, you, whatever you, your coach has told you you need to work on, you can just focus in very closely on that one attribute and because nothing is changing between swings, the ball is always clean, the club is always clean, the grooves are always clean, the result that you get when you strike that ball is a true result. So often when you're practicing out of a bad lie, you put a good swing on the ball, you know it felt good, you know it was a good swing, but you get a really bad result. And, and we all know, you know, if you catch the ball very slightly heavy in a bunker, it goes nowhere. Just the slightest amount of contamination between the club and the ball can, can really have a very dramatic effect on ball flight. So when you're in that practice mode, not the playing mode, you don't want those variations. You know, we all understand they're a part of the game. But if you're trying to figure something out, you know, let's say you're trying to flight the ball. So you're really what you're interested in is what kind of spin you're putting on the ball. What Powerty does by enabling you to stay stable is to really work on that, you know, release timing or swing path, which however you're trying to put the spin on, and you're going to get a true result because the club's clean and the ball's clean. You know, even if you hit it a little bit heavy, you know, we can we do artificially improve the shot that you hit because you don't get that poor contact, but you know you've hit it heavy. Uh, you can hear it and you can feel it. So, you know, even for very, very low handicap golfers, depending on what you're working on, it's an, it's an insanely good way to, to improve. You know, and that's what really what golfers are looking for is they want to, you know, I mean, it, when I talk to most amateur golfers, one of the biggest things that they hate is spending much time up at the range uh, working on their game. They'll go out and they'll hit a few balls, and, and I'm not talking about a warm-up session. I'm talking about a practice session, you know, where they're 30 minutes to an hour, um, you know, even with their coach. And, you know, if it's not a, an enjoyable experience, they're not going to stick with it or they're going to rush through the process. 
And I really like what, what you've had to say about how not only are they improving um, the experience with PowerT, but they're also still getting the good feedback that they need, which is important as a golfer. I mean, you want to get that good feedback, um, and you're able to do that. And it, it, there's nothing more frustrating than going to the range, you know, as I mentioned earlier, and you're hitting either off uh, very poor quality mats um, or a, a, a green area that has been beaten to death um, and just, you know, reused and reused and reused over, over the summer um, and not really having a good experience. Stay very long. I mean, very seldomly when I go to a range, um, do I see people staying there for any length of time. Uh, again, obviously with a warm-up session, that's a little bit different. Um, understandably, they're not going to be out there for an hour if they're getting ready to, to tee it up. But, you know, people that are just out there on a weekend that just want to practice a little bit that maybe aren't playing, um, you know, they'll go out there and they'll hit a bunch of balls, but you can just tell they're just raking and hitting it. They're not getting really any, any enjoyment, and they're not really getting a lot of feedback because, as you pointed out, they're standing in divots or they're standing in uneven lies, and they're just not getting uh, a good experience. And, again, as you pointed out, you have to practice those things too, but when you're just out there and you're wanting to work and hitting uh, and making good solid contact, you want to be doing it in, the, in the ideal conditions as you would off the tee. So um, a lot of great points that you've made. And, and you mentioned too, you know, obviously Jim Furyk is an ambassador and obviously believes in power tee um, and, and obviously uses it. So this is not something just for country clubs and, and um, you know, driving uh, practice centers or driving ranges. This is something that people can get at home as well, correct? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, um, Duffin has got one. Uh, Rob Rockset got one in the UK. Uh, who was it who won the Open um, when Vanderbilt? Mm-hmm. Paul Laurie, he, he has one. Um, uh, Tony Robbins has got a couple of them. Um, so, And all our home use guys, they absolutely love them. And, and you know, funnily enough, um, the family engages over them. You know, we hear it every time. My wife likes it in ball rocket. My kids are now interested in golf. Um, right. You know, it's, it, ultimately, it's a lot of fun to hit a great golf shot. And, and when we were talking earlier, you know, about engagement and, and so on and so forth, really the nub mm-hmm. of it for the golf industry is what makes a golfer? How, what turns someone who's, you know, on his fifth beer after four holes uh, and just having a lark into someone who wants to improve, who gets down to 15, gets down to 12, gets down to eight, and then really, you know, then, then you've got a big decision to make for most of us, I guess, as to whether you're going to put in the work to get down to scratch. Uh, what is it that, that hooks that person? And, and, and in my view, it's, it's very simple. It's it's hitting good shots. There's there's very little, you know, in sport that gives you the thrill of when you catch a three wood absolutely crisp, and you see that ball, you know, at all levels when you first begin, you know, if you catch it, you're going to see that ball take off faster than you imagined possible, and that's what you know, ultimately what gets people hurt and where, you know, we're a big part of that equation. Yeah. And, and again, you want to make it, you know, golf is supposed to be fun. Um, and unfortunately for some, it's not. And, um, 
there are a number of factors, obviously. It, as we both know, it's a challenging game. It can be difficult for some to, uh, to you know, uh, understand and, and improve on the game. But a big component of that is the fact that it's not fun for them. If the experience is not fun, um, and, and you raised a really interesting point that I want to sort of capitalize on. We've all, in the golf industry, certainly have benefited, um, you know, and I say this unfortunately, um, through um, the mishaps of, of COVID. Um, the golf industry has certainly seen a big uptick of new people coming to the game. Forget about the people that have been playing this game for a long time, but a lot of new people coming to the game. And the number one thing that they're looking for is they want to have fun. It's a new experience from men. Many of them have never played this game before. They didn't grow up as, as maybe some of us did in, in a family where, you know, your father took you out to the range when you were a youngster or, or an uncle or a grandfather or what have you. There are many younger folks that have never had that opportunity or never had that exposure. And the last thing they want to do is go out there and not have a good experience. And you mentioned some facilities like Top Golf and others that are helping to, to spur that interest. Um, but again, your product power tee um, gives them uh, a great opportunity to have some fun and improve in the game and want to stick with it even longer. And that's a big plus, as you pointed out, for golf courses and driving ranges because that's one of the things they want people to stay out is they want people to stay at their facility longer and see, you know, higher revenues, not just out on the golf course. Obviously, that's a big component, but they want to see them accessing other options. And, you know, a lot of times we, as I'm sure you can witness too, when they don't have uh, your product, as the driving ranges are dead, right? Oh, totally, totally, and and, and they deserve to be because you, you know <laughs> neither neither surface is worth sitting off of. Um, so you know you, you you imagine you know how how much busier the bar would be if you had a decent surface to hit off in the afternoon and evening, and you know the members would be down in their droves over and above the traditional rock hard mat versus chewed up tea line um so that enormous chunk of real estate which is usually adjacent to the clubhouse is basically a completely dead duck from about you know three o'clock till close and what it should be is a center of engagement for teaching a family center of engagement um uh, you know you, you roll out the beverage cart out there two or three nights a week um, mm-hmm. and, and and really, you know, fuel the heart of the club. Uh, instead, it's just dead. Um, it's a really it's a really sad oversight by, you know, far too many clubs. But get, you know, going back well, to the COVID um, the COVID point, you know, the golf the golf industry now has this sort of gift, uh, which, as you say, came came about through very, you know, challenging circumstances. Uh, but its job now is to is to retain those people and to make the experience right. good and to to get them to get them performing on the golf course, get them having fun, and uh, you know it's it's products like Parity that that are going to do that. And, and also, let's not forget, as you touched on a little bit, is the um, you know the the greenskeeping crew and and that uh, at the golf course. Um, I mean, you know, they've got enough to deal with out out there, uh, you know, keeping the greens and the fairways and whatnot, uh, you know, up to snuff. Um, but another challenge for them is the cost 
of keeping the, the range in good shape as well. And, and I would imagine, though, you know, obviously there's going to be an initial investment to change over to uh, Power T, but uh, again, with some of the things that we talked about, they're going to see revenues coming up, and those costs are going to be very quickly uh, replenished, uh, and those expenses, rather, are going to be very quickly replenished, um, yeah, right, and, and saved, not having to spend money, you know, fixing up the tee box all the time, or the uh, the driving yeah, range. Excuse there's, me. There's, there's no cost to putting power tea in. Um, it's all done on lease, so there's no there's no front upfront capital cost uh, at all. Um, it's straight in. Um, and really, if you you know, for a club that has five or six hundred members, the cost to each member of having power tea at the club is less than a dollar a week. Um, so to put a power tea fee on the membership, we've had guys do it. They've they put on a $5 a week power tea fee. And, you know, provided you get the power teas in the right place and you make them available, you know, on a daily basis, then we recommend very strongly that you keep the re- you close the range at midday. Uh, and then what you mm-hmm. end up with is much higher quality grass when you are using grass. And you get a great practice experience for the rest of the day. Uh, and that's right. for a buck a week for the membership. And, you know, if you, you know, a dollar a week now in, in today's money, really, it really isn't a lot of cash. Uh, no, not at all. To transform your facility. And, I, you know, if, if I were, I know, I know that, that, that clubs come under a lot of pressure from the low handicappers. They hate Matt. And they don't understand power tea because they never played off it. So they oh, no, right. we don't want that here. You know, and, you, and you want to keep your low handicappers happy. But ultimately speaking, I think if you run a facility with power tea, you run it well. I would defend the grass and, and make sure mm. that, you know, for, for big events like your member guests, your member member, you know, you're playing out of something that really does resemble the fairway. You've rested mm. it long enough that all those old divots have healed up, you've rolled it so it's flat and level, and when you hit off it, you're really hitting off something that's worth hitting off of. Because even when it's grown in and you're actually playing off grass, if you actually stand there and close your eyes and sort of feel what's going on under your feet, the divots are still there. they just got grass in them. Um, right. And that's even at some very high-end clubs. Um, so you, know, you can go on. No, I was just going to say, you know, just going to your point about, you know, some of the, the um, higher handicap golfers that may be apprehensive about wanting to, to play on power. You know, once they come into a facility and others, they see the others, you know, practicing on them, um, prizing, I would imagine, how many people would be, would be converted and saying, you know what, hey, maybe it's not so bad after all. I think it's like anything, you got to give it a, uh, give it a try first. Uh, before you 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 know sort of thumb your nose at something, but I, I really like the concept behind this. I did a lot of you know research before we did the show tonight uh, on your website, and there's a lot of great information. And I want to give that out now uh, for the listeners, and that is uh, powertea.com uh, is the website you can go to, and all of the information and much more uh, than what we were talking about tonight. We just gave you a little snippet of some of the things, but it talks to you a little bit more about what is power tea and and how you can get uh, power tea for. Uh, whether you're uh, running a country club or a driving range or even for home use. And there's some great videos on there as well. And uh, and uh, you can hear uh, some great uh, feedback from uh, individuals like um, 
PGA professional Jim Furyk and obviously uh, uh, teacher professional uh, Rick Smith as well. Some great uh, and some great images there of people. Uh, and um, I see that you have uh, on one of the blog posts you had uh, a great image using one of your products uh, was Gina Rojas, who was uh, affectionately known as the uh, um, with the left arm uh, adaptive golfer. Uh, she's been on the show yeah a number of times. Yeah, and she's uh, uh, she's getting to uh, to use that as well. So um, a lot of great stuff there. Uh, definitely suggest that uh, you know after the program that uh, everybody heads over to powertea.com and, and uh, checks out some of the uh, uh, great uh, information there. But um, Martin, I want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing this uh, information with my uh, my audience tonight. Uh, uh, much continued success uh, with PowerT. I have no doubt as it's uh, getting into more and more facilities. How many? Uh, I know you've got literally hundreds of, of uh, places now that uh, PowerT is is getting into, and, and more, I'm sure, on the way. Is when it comes to installing it at a course, how long of a turnaround from when you put it in uh, is it up and running? Um, so we have at the moment we we we're, we're putting a lot of machines in on a on a deck. So rather than Sort of trying to make the product look like a traditional tea line we're putting in a, a composite deck which looks really cool um, mm-hmm. and we can actually pre-build them in the factory so we can have you know 20 machines installed in a day wow. um, and you know you, you sort of go home you go home one evening and you, you come come in the next evening and you you got power tea um, <laughs> And if you if you want a slightly lower profile install where you want it set into the ground, it can take as much as a week to install 20 machines. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we we've been doing this a while. We're 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 pretty skilled at it, and uh, it's just such a wonderful way to practice. And you you mentioned you mentioned um, you know beginners might enjoy it. There's no question. You know we've talked a lot about low handicap. Um, benefits which are really you know you've got to be right there you've got to understand swing dynamics you've got to understand a lot of things before you start drilling in to those finer points with power t um mm-hmm. you know the benefit of power t is at its peak with beginners and high handicap they don't have the discipline to go through a pre-shot routine they don't even they don't they can't get back in to the same position after playing a good shot. Um, so parity really accelerates those guys the fastest. And then obviously when you really get down to the nub of it and you're, you're trying to go from plus three to plus five, then you better spend, you better hang out around the chipping green because um, that's, you know, that's where it happens, putting and chipping. Right. Um, right, exactly. But, uh, yeah, and then we're not, we're not a part of that. Uh, well, and and that's why you're getting great endorsements from folks like Rick Smith and and uh, and uh, Ambassador Jim Furyk is obviously they know the the ins and outs of the game and they obviously understand the benefits that Power T has to offer. Um, but uh, great yeah, product, and again really, for go ahead. Thanks. Really excited about Rick Smith. He's, we're doing some some studies on the psychological benefits of you know walking for the first tee, having hit 50 good shots, as opposed to walking there having, you know, hit 30 good shots and 20 bad shots. Uh, and I think that's right. going to be some pretty some pretty exciting data comes out of that. 
Well, and that's that's what uh, that's what you want to be able to show them and show them uh, the numbers, what uh, benefits of it, and that's uh, where people will will be more inclined to want to give it the old college tries or for those that have never used it before. But um, Martin, I want to thank you very much for joining me again on Golf Talk Live. I really appreciate and I found it a very interesting discussion, and thank you for sharing that. And again, to the listeners, if you go to PowerT.com, you can get all the information there, some great videos and some great information on that, and uh, all of their contact information is available off the website too if you want to reach out if you're um, the manager at a golf club or uh, driving range and you want to reach out and get more information. I'm sure they'll be happy to uh, to help uh, organize some things with you. But, Martin, again, thank you very much for spending some time with me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Ted. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon. I will, too. I'd love to have you back anytime. Um, thank you very Thanks much, and have a great rest of your week and great weekend and much continued success with Power Team. Thanks, Ted. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, Martin Wyeth, uh, CEO of PowerT, joining me uh, for a great discussion tonight on a uh, really interesting product. And again, I would uh, strongly urge the listeners to go to PowerT.com to get more information. It's obviously uh, spreading fast. And uh, as I also mentioned, uh, a number of uh, very prominent professionals, Rick Smith being a, a top-notch uh, golf instructor, and obviously Jim Furyk, uh, well-known uh, on the uh, on the links, as it were, on the PGA Tour. Um, definitely endorsing and, and uh, being ambassadors of this great product. So definitely you want to check that out at PowerT.com. On that note, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, uh, there'll be no shows next week. Uh, be off on vacation. So uh, we will return uh, for both shows, the Women of Golf and Golf Talk Live, the following week. So again, no shows next week. But in the meantime, if you want to go back and listen to tonight's show in its entirety, if you're just tuning in a little bit later in the broadcast, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or women of golf for those of you who want to listen to the women's program scroll down to the main off the main page to the on-demand sections and you can listen to uh, the shows in their entirety of the recorded version so it goes all the way back to the beginning um, but on that note everybody have a great uh, rest of your week and great weekend god bless and we'll see you next time right here on golf talk live Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.